You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. All right, like I said, for the last like 10 days, I've been in wedding and funeral mode. Uh, I've done two weddings and a funeral and prep for the next wedding that I'm doing in a few weeks. And I was thinking when I did two weddings and a funeral, I think that's like a movie title from the 90s. I I, I can't remember for sure if I'm right or not. Someone told that to me. Uh, But I've been in this mode. I've been in this mode. In fact, I've been saying some of the same things at the weddings. I've been talking about legacy. I've been asking the bride and the groom this question. I want to ask it to, to you today, not in the context of marriage necessarily, but in the context of legacy. What I've been asking the bride and groom is not what do you want this day to look like when you walk down the aisle and say I do, but instead what do you want the last day of your marriage to look like and then working backwards from that idea, that is the context of your legacy. And so maybe uh, marriage isn't something that you are partaking in. Maybe a broader question on legacy would be this. What do you want the last day of your life to look like? Greg already talked to you about this lady named Rose Birch. Rose represents something to me more than just her own life. She represents a period of time at New Life when New Life was forming uh, that was very special to me as a young youth pastor. Uh, There's a lot of people that, there wasn't a lot of people at the funeral. She was 106. In fact, it's a miracle if you're 106 that anyone's at your funeral because everyone's already died that you were close to. But there was a group of people that helped start New Life that were at our funeral, and it was just kind of this time where I was personally walking down memory lane, and uh, Rose was 106. She, She was the very last of the last of the last of the greatest generation. In fact, her first husband, she was married twice for one simple reason, her first husband died in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, and so in the 40s, she lost her husband at a young age uh, to the Battle of the Bulge, and she was a part of that greatest generation legacy. And I was reflecting on that as I was preparing for her funeral, that, that there's this piece of time in history where I just feel honored to get to know her and that I can remember her story. She had all sorts of crazy stories for me that she would tell me as she would prepare Coogan for me when I would do her visitations as a youth pastor. And I remember when she was at the young age of 99, she said, I can't cook for you anymore. And I remember thinking, Rose, you are just incredibly selfish. <laughs> I mean, come on, 99, that's like the new 90. I mean, the, it, but she said, I can't cook for you anymore. I remember even after that, she still did. I remember she was sitting right over here on this side of the room when we sang happy birthday to her on her 100th birthday, and she would always go like this when you bring attention to her. She'd always go just like that. And I, I just remember that so clearly. In fact, I want to celebrate her legacy. Two, two weeks ago, or May 22nd, so a few weeks ago, she turned 106. And I want you to see what she did on her 106th birthday. She sang for all of us. If we can show that go video ahead. real quick. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the ocean, wave with God bless America, my home, sweet home. That was beautiful. She'll love- 
Yeah. Here's where things are going to shift in the message. We collectively don't all have a Rose Birch ending. She, she carved out this legacy, I think for the last 20-something years, I, I know in fact, I, I think it was less than 30, but 20-something years, almost 30, almost 30 years, she'd been living single because she was out living everyone close to her in her life and visiting her, she was very, very clear. Um, she liked two things. She liked to think about going to heaven and she liked David Jeremiah as a pastor better than me. And uh, if you know David Jeremiah, you're like, well, that makes sense. But uh, she always had his sermons on when I would see her. And uh, she always talked about going to heaven, and she always wondered why she was still alive. And she leaves this legacy, this Rose Birch legacy of following Christ no matter what, never compromised. I never went to Rose's house, and, and she was like, you know, I just don't know if I actually really believe this thing, ever. She always knew what she believed she always lived out what she believed, and she was a part of the greatest generation. And the, the reality is this, that the reason this has even made me emotional and doing these weddings and doing this funeral and having this idea of what it means to leave a legacy in the context of our own family is that Rose's story has become an anomaly. Rose's story has become the exception and not the rule. And as a pastor, I, we've just seen it at such a rapid rate. Things are changing quickly where people aren't even questioning what they believe, it seems like a lot of people, when it comes to the gospel specifically, don't really care. In fact, this church was started on a premise where we're gonna reach this community by being a church that's different. And I think just by virtue of the leadership, we accomplish that in not necessarily all good ways. We're definitely different, right? We had this idea that there needs to be something different in this community and we watched the church grow and grow and grow with people and people getting saved and people getting baptized and there's been this paradigm shift in the community that if we don't take notice of it, we're gonna miss it bad. It's already happening. It's not that you really need to be a church that's different. You have to be a church that's missional because being a church that's different assumes that people care and that they're gonna choose a church because that's what you do. And so if we're the church that's different, then people will come to our church. Here's the fallacy in that thinking, that people even care and that people are even gonna go to church. We have to be way more aggressive now, 16 years into this thing called New Life, where we pursue relationships and we pursue people and not just allow people to come to us because they're gonna go somewhere to attend a Sunday service. We have to pursue them because they don't even know they're looking. Rose left this legacy for New Life and now there's this new legacy that's forming and Here's what I want to bring to light. We've been in the New Testament a long time during COVID. I want to just have this one sermon before we go to the Sermon on the Mount that hones in on what happens before Christ comes in the book of Malachi. And so if you're new to the Bible, if you get to the New Testament, you just missed it. It's right before it. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And I want you to see something about the people that are leaving a legacy. I want you to see that 23, 2400 years ago, before Christ, we are dealing with the exact same problems with the people of God that we're dealing with now in the local church, it doesn't look kind of similar. It looks strikingly similar. And it's this idea that these people, just like the church now, thousands of years later, aren't leaving the legacy that God's called them to lead. And God has some harsh words for them. In Malachi 1.6, I'm gonna kind of breeze through this. We're gonna camp out in chapter two. But in Malachi 1.6, God says this. He says, a son honors his father, father, 
and a servant honors his master, he says, if then I am the father, where's my honor? Where's my honor? If I'm dad and you're the kids and the dad's in charge, then why are you doing whatever you want to do? The whole story of the Old Testament is God's people obeying and then following away. God's people obeying and then following away. And round and round and round the cycle goes. And the Bible says also this, that there's nothing new that's under the sun. The same thing is still happening today. He says, a son honors his father and a servant honors his master. If then I am the father, where's my honor? If I am the master, where's my fear? Where's my fear? You guys are doing whatever you want. It's not a matter, write this down, it's not a matter of if you'll leave a legacy, it's only a matter of what your legacy will look like. The people in Malachi that God is talking through Malachi to address are leaving a legacy. They have this small window of time, this legacy moment called their life from birth to death where they have this moment of time to do something for the Lord, and instead of doing something for the Lord, they're working against the plans and purposes and provisions of the Lord, and they're doing whatever they want. He says, if I'm the Father, then why don't you honor me? In chapter two, he gets very, very blunt. He looks right at the priests, the pastors of the day, people like myself, and he sides this this red alert moment, the, the red flags go up. He says, everything is not okay. It's starting from the top and it's trickling its way down. And he starts addressing the marriages by the priests. And he's saying to his people, he's saying to his leaders in the church, you have turned away instead of towards me, even though your job is to tell the people how to live according to the standard of the Bible, according to the Torah and the Old Testament. And the clear thing that we're going to see them do is they are going to take their marriages and they're going to trade in their trophy marriages for the next new thing for a new trophy wife. And God isn't having it. He's sounding the alarm and he's letting them know that he's not okay with their lifestyle decisions. In a world that literally says that anything goes, God has always been about absolutes. He says this in verse 10 of chapter two. Follow it with me. If you have your Bibles, open it. Check it out on your phone. Let's walk through this together. He says this. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? He says, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? What's a covenant? This is basic marriage talk. What's a covenant? A covenant is a vow. It's specific to a cause, a person, or in this case, creator. A covenant is the idea that you're fully devoted to that thing that you're pursuing. It's way different than a contract. We've talked about this a lot in, in the terms of marriage over the years at New Life. A contract has terms that are negotiable. A contract is for the here and now, but not necessarily for the later. A contract is based on personal benefits so you can get the most out of whatever you're pursuing. It's formally known in a business relationship where it's about you. A covenant isn't about you, it's about the other person, or ultimately it's about God Almighty. He's saying, we have this covenant. I love you, you love me. I've already pursued you, you pursue me. And you're breaking the covenant and you're doing so in a way where you're living with profanity in your life. How many of you ever got scolded as a child for using profanity? I never did, but how many of you did? <laughs> right? You remember, it's like the naughty words? 
God is using this idea of profanity in a different context. He's saying, it's not as much what you say that's profane. It's not the naughty words that's tearing me up. It's your lifestyle that's profane. You're living with naughty actions. You're doing those things that I've called you not to do, and you're trading in. There are two charges against God's people in chapter two of Malachi as they are leaving this legacy, because it's not a matter of if they're gonna leave this legacy. It's just what kind of legacy they're gonna leave. He has these two charges against them, and you can write these things down. These things are critical. They're still going on today. In fact, they're going on in mass quantity, 2021. Nothing's changed. Nothing new is under the sun. And these are the pastors. He says, I've got two ways that you're living in a way that's profane. Number one, you're marrying people that aren't Christians. A New Testament translation, you're marrying people that are not a part of the covenant of God. You're marrying people that aren't believers. Number two, you are trading in your wives. You're cheating on them. And just so you know, I'm not cool with it. If you haven't been to church in a while or you haven't read your Bible in a while, just know this, God does work in absolutes and he's absolutely not okay with any other reality of marriage besides a husband and a wife and, and, and loving and serving that spouse till death do us part. He goes on to say this about their legacy. He says, Judah, God's people, has been faithless. They've been an abomination. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So what God does, in essence, is he calls this family meeting. And through the prophet Malachi, he brings the family today. And maybe you can look at it through the lens of a family meeting that you've had in your own life where dad calls a meeting and says, everything's not okay. It's a red alert moment. All the kids are sitting on the couch, and the father's giving an earful. And his first problem with his people, his first problem with his pastors specifically He's saying, you're a follower of God and you're taking this covenant of marriage so lightly that you're marrying people that don't want even just nothing to do with God. They believe in other gods that don't even exist and you're profaning the covenant. How can you call yourself a priest? How can you call yourself a man of God? How can you call yourself a pastor who's leading a congregation, leading a synagogue, if you're gonna operate in this way? And he's angry towards their sin because ultimately their sin is against him. Here's a little side note. This one's free. When we sin in our peripheral relationships, ultimately it's not a sin against people as much as it's a sin directly against God. And God is telling his church 400 years before Christ, he's saying, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see how you're living. And so I want to just talk about this for a little bit. How does this translate into our world? What does it look like to marry an unbeliever? I wanna break it down for you and give you some practical stuff as a pastor who's walked with this issue with many people. Marrying an unbeliever, I put it in three categories. and The first two are very rare, especially in Aberdeen. I've met very few of these people. Marrying someone who says there is no God, an atheist. Marrying someone who says I don't care if there's a God, he doesn't affect my life, an agnostic. Or here's the one that's kind of counterintuitive and write it down if you're not married. The third one is this, marrying someone who's just simply religious that doesn't have 
a personal relationship with Christ, who follows a subset of rules maybe, but doesn't put the gospel on display and has no actual passion for Christ in their heart and then just looking the other way because it's so hard to find a Christian, especially right now in the world that we live in, they're like a diamond in the rough and going, well, they'll do. I literally sent a text out to our teenagers. There's 20 of them on the softball team. We have a youth softball team. And I said, be in church this Sunday. This is why. I wanted you sitting here to hear this. It is like finding a diamond in the rough to find someone who's born again and loves Christ with all their heart. But if you forgo that process and just go, well, they'll do. That's what I'm trying to teach my own kids. That's not enough. That's not enough. Here's what's gonna happen. Number one, I promise you, this is counseling stuff coming out of the sessions just for you, not divulging any personal information about any one person, but just over the years watching this play out. Here's what's gonna happen. Teenagers, write it down. Resentment will set in. I can introduce you to people who can testify that this is true in their own life. If you profane the covenant and have a mentality, because most people aren't atheists, most people aren't even agnostics in Aberdeen, South Dakota, but many people are religious without relationship. If you forgo that process of saying, I will not settle. I will not settle. I want someone that loves Jesus, or God, I'm gonna be alone until you give me someone. If you don't take that mentality, even though that's the harder road to travel, I promise you, resentment will set in. When priorities don't align, the byproduct is resentment and distrust. When priorities don't align, the byproduct is resentment and distrust. You're gonna resent them later, probably two, three kids into the equation for jumping through religious hoops but not having a genuine desire for spiritual growth and it's not really their fault because they never had it and you look the other way. Resentment will set in. Resenting them for not holding your values, not actually serving in the local church, not making appropriate sacrifices, and here's where it gets very real, very raw. Fast forward your life and your legacy to your 30s. You're gonna be at church because that's what you're supposed to do. Your husband's gonna come, eh. He's gonna serve, eh. And here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna prophesy this on your life. Are you ready? You're gonna resent those people around you because you're gonna see other couples where both are bought in and you're gonna know that there's a disconnect and you're gonna resent him for something that's really not his fault because he was never that person to start with. This stuff has never stopped happening. And then as a result, a lot of times your own faith will suffer because you just can't carry that burden. And I know it can happen both ways, but I'm just tacting practically speaking, it tends to be more common with the men, which is why I'm using that as the example. Number two, you will have family problems, and, and write this down. Your kids will be confused when they're young, and they'll be delusioned when they're older or indifferent. They're gonna hear one thing from mom and one thing from dad. They're not gonna know what to believe. They're not gonna see it played out in their life, and they're gonna be confused, and they're gonna be disillusioned. And here's probably the most raw one that's so real. Your marriage will lack intimacy. And here's how I know your marriage will lack intimacy, because here's how... I would define intimacy. We are closest to the people that understand us and we understand them. Think about the people that you're best friends with. This is why doing life together in church is so critical. You have these people, even if they're annoying, right? even if they drive you crazy, and, and there's no one like that in my life at New Life, no one drives me crazy ever. 
everyone is perfect here in this church, right, as your pastor. But there are these people, even if they drive you crazy, even if on the, you know, the superficial, there are these things about their personality where you don't quite click. These are the people that you're going to be around for eternity because they've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And even though you don't have some things in common, you have the biggest, most intimate things in common because Christ was crucified in their place for their sins and he did the same thing for you. And now that's your brother or sister in Christ. We are closest to the people that understand us and we understand them. Everyone else, we keep at an arm's distance. Someone's in church right now. I went to see him uh, to get my, I, I just went to the doctor. I had some stuff done and he did some blood work on me and uh, it turns out I need to lose a little weight. But uh, I was at the doctor's office Friday, and he says this to me. I mean, his name's Brandon. I don't know if that's breaking confidentiality, but he, I just like him, and so he, now he's my doctor, and, and Don Snow moved. And so I was at the doctor, and, and he's like, can I pray for you? I mean, Brandon and I don't have a lot in common. I didn't plan on using him as a sermon illustration. I just saw him. I could pound him in basketball. I'm, I'm more, far more athletic than Brandon. We don't, we don't, I mean, I'll probably be at the water park. I'm, I'm more outgoing than him. He's definitely way smarter than me, which sounds impossible, but I think he is. We don't have a lot in common, but he's, this is like my brother in Christ. I haven't seen him for a while. I only see him when I get my checkup done, right? When, or, and that's been a while, or when I go to the doctor for something else, and, and he says, can I pray for you? And it's like immediately there's this bond. Immediately there's this bond because that's my brother in Christ. Those people that we don't, have things in common with on a spiritual level, we keep it an arm's distance. And so there's gonna be intimacy lacking in your marriage as a result. This is how this thing goes. Bible says this in verse 13. God says, and this is the second thing that you do. This is the second legacy that you leave. And here's the one that just breaks my heart. Underline it in your Bibles. He says, you cover the Lord's altar with your tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor because of your hand. And there's this back and forth. It's kind of Shakespearean in nature. Verse 14, but you say, why does he not? And here it is. Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless. The wife of your youth you met in college. You got married in the church. You're a pastor. You're, you're a priest in this context. You've been faithless to her. You traded in your wife. And I'm not accepting your offering. The companion and wife of the covenant. Verse 15, but did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And was he, what was the one God seeking? He says godly offspring. There's the legacy. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. God is saying, I was there. I was in the synagogue. It was till death do us part. Everyone saw it. And you've traded in your wife for someone who's not even a believer. Right? This goes both ways. We know the storylines. You traded in your husband for someone that doesn't even have affection for Christ. What are you doing? What kind of legacy are you leaving? His last words, if you're gonna get, if you're gonna get like a 400, 300, 400 year break from talking again, there's silence in the word of God for a, a large gap of time. If you're gonna get this silence, aren't you gonna wanna speak of the most important things of your heart? 
If I'm gonna write a love letter to Anne and I know that for some reason I can live to be a gazillion years old on this planet Earth, if I can write her this love letter, I only get this window of time, I'm not gonna talk to her, don't you think I'm gonna share with her the most important things that are just breaking my heart if there are things to talk about? God says it's the marriage. God says it's the legacy. God says it's the lineage. God says it's the family. You've carved out one path in your head and another path in your heart, and now those things in your heart are manifesting in your lifestyle, and I'm not okay. This is a red alert moment. You've got this one small window of time, and you are blowing it. How many of you guys have ever heard this statement? And it's true, but I, just let's all walk in this idea together. How many of you heard, all sin is equal? You, you have to participate. Of course you've heard that, right? Has anyone, ever, anyone ever had them like defend themselves in a position where they get backed into a corner because the Bible says this and they're living this way and, th and then they hear, and then they just shoot off this statement? I've said it before. Well, all sin is equal, back off. How many of you heard that? Okay, hear, hear me say this. I stole this from someone else. I love this statement. All sin is equal in damnation. The consequence of sin is the same. All sin is equal in damnation, but not in devastation. Click your pen. All sin is equal in damnation. The end result of sin is death. The Bible is clear. But not all sin is equal in devastation. All sin is equally damning, but not devastating. Here's my example. Unfaithfulness in your marriage has a different physical consequence than jaywalking. Terrorism has a different consequence than stealing a library book. You tracking? All sin is equal in damnation. The end result of sin is death, but not necessarily in its immediate consequences. According to the Journal of Marriage and Family Therapy, 41% of both one or both spouses admit to either physical or emotional infidelity in their lifetime. The average length of an adulterous affair is two years. So you're trading in your trophy wife for a new, for a new one, right? It lasts on average about two years and then it goes bye-bye. Here's what's so devastating. Here's the legacy. Children of divorced parents are 50% more likely to get divorced themselves. When both the husband and the wife come from a divorced home, there's a 200% greater chance that they're gonna get divorced. Our entire generation that's being raised up is one big psychological experiment. All sin is equal in damnation, but not equal in devastation. You carve out this path, it's breaking the heart of God, half time with your kids, financial constraints, someone else that you don't particularly care for is now being called mom or dad, and you're seeing your kids half the time, the covenant's breaking down, the Lord's altar is being filled with tears, this is the reality of the crazy culture that we're living in, where sin is just absolutely going haywire. Do you guys know that I actually, I like stats. I have this whole thing of stats that I've stored regarding this topic. Here's a stat for you. Um, here, here's a reason to be careful on Netflix. Of all these sexual acts displayed on TV, only 10% are in the context of marriage. 10%. A TV producer was asked why that's true, and he responded, sex outside of marriage is just far more interesting and exciting. Take Caleb, flush it down the toilet for a second. 
you're listening to the radio, how many times do you hear about a sexual encounter with two people that are desperately in love in the covenant of marriage? What's that girl's name, Nikki something? Yeah, I just went there. Who is it? Give me a high score. Who is it? Who? That's not who I'm thinking of. Cardi, Cardi B, right? Just don't ever check out her stuff. (laughs) Ever, 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 ever. So here we go, verse 16. I'm gonna move on from someone that I couldn't quote right. Cardi B. Verse 16, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I've got two things I want us to walk away with today. Two things, I want you to write it down. When it comes to leaving this legacy, this small window of time that we have, where so few are looking like Rose Birch, write this down. Today's decisions affect tomorrow's legacy. That's scriptural. In fact, just write this down as well. Psalm 128.3, a wife is a fruitful vine, and children are like olive shoots that are an area of blessing that sit around your table. God uses this metaphor in scripture, in Psalms, to talk about the legacy that you're leaving in the context of something that grows. Here's what we know about vines. They're very hard to repair once they're severed. When you sever the vine, you're affecting the legacy of the family for generations to come. I told this story about 10 years ago, I found it. And I thought it was funny, I just wanna share it to you real quick, we're gonna move on, we're gonna close. I was, uh, I was just experimenting, I never, mowed my lawn until I was an adult. We had a gardener growing up, which I know makes me exempt from ever living in the Midwest. Uh, But that was my story. And so when we got married, I had to learn all of these things myself. I'm still mediocre at best, but I was learning how to do some things. And we had this fence that was chain link. And actually, it was like two or three houses ago that we lived at. And it was a chain link fence. And do you guys know that chain link doesn't protect things from the other side, like plant-wise? Uh, I thought, you know, there's a fence there. I'm going to spray. I don't want to edge this fence. My, my weed eater kept getting caught in this chain link fence. And I thought, well, I've got the perfect idea. I'm just going to spray the weeds and kill them at the edge of the fence. And how could it possibly affect the neighbor's flowers because, because there's a fence there? And then I got this knock on my door. And this woman, she was just totally irrational. I don't know why she was so angry. Uh, but, uh, you know, she was always in her garden. She's always working on her plants and flowers and uh, God bless her, she was on Arch Street and she, hopefully she's repented about how she treated me, but uh, she, she said, Rodney, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? You just killed all of my flowers. And I said to her, but the fence was there, right? I sprayed this weed killer and it, and it went over and the funny part is I walked inside, I severed the vine, it was a slow choking out, that's how the weed killer works, it chokes out the vine, and then it kills. But I walked away and everything looked perfect. I thought this worked absolutely beautiful. But over time, the next few days, all of a sudden, she had these big, long, beautiful flowers and they all just went boom. We were the best of friends after that happened. (laughs) The vine, it stayed green for a time, but the vine was choked out. The vine wasn't nurtured. Today's decisions affect tomorrow's legacy? Are we watering? Are we serving? Are we exalting? Are we loving the Savior? 
Or are we living each day just with this weed killer, just choking this thing out? It starts today. Here's the next thing I know to be true. It's littered all throughout the Bible, and I have literally watched it on display as a husband and a father. Write it down. Here's our closer. If I was to pick one thing that I would leave you with before I went and met Jesus this week, not to be morbid, but this would be the cry of my heart. Your legacy starts with leadership. My legacy starts with leadership. And the way that I would define that at face value sounds misogynistic, misogynistic, and in no way do I mean it that way. Our legacy as new life, your legacy in your home starts with leadership. Right now in the world that we're living in, if we were playing a game of follow the leader, it would be the worst game of follow the leader that we've ever played in modern church history. There's this baton of faith that we've talked about before in these services. And the baton in the race of faith is getting dropped, and it's getting dropped big time, going to the next generation. Legacy always starts with leadership. It started with leadership 2,400 years ago. And here's what I just want to bring to light as we close. I'm going to read one more verse. I'm going to just talk for a second, and we're going to close this thing out. I want you to see that nothing has changed, that nothing new is under the sun. All of us are walking in this reality that as legacy starts with leadership, but we don't know, it's just so much worse. It's accelerated so much faster. Things are so much worse than they've ever been. We just dissected that for the last two months and I wanted you to see it's been worse than it is now. And the hinge, the linchpin of the whole thing, it starts with leadership. Here's how the last verse ends. You have wearied the Lord with your words. And they always do this. They always want to know how. They're like teenagers. Tell me why. Defend your case. How have we wearied him? And God says, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Underline that in your Bibles. By saying this, you've wearied me. You've exhausted me. Everyone who does evil is good. That is the way that you're living. Does that sound familiar? How many of you thought just like 10, 15 years ago, there's no way that culture will adapt these values? There's no way. I mean, I can kind of see this thing over here and they've kind of come to the middle on this issue, but they'll never go here. Are you awake? And here we are, 2021, in an accelerated pace where we're seeing morality be defined in ways that we never thought we would see morality be defined. The condition of the church has always been interconnected with the health of the home. Men, you are the spiritual leaders. The reason this would be the last thing I would tell you before I go and meet Jesus face to face is because as a husband, a father, and a pastor, this is the linchpin. Where there's a lack of leadership in the home, things go Absolutely crazy. When there's a lack of leadership in the church, things go haywire. Leadership is directly connected to legacy. First people that ever lived on planet Earth, our Bibles tell them, you guys know their names? Adam and, and Eve. Okay, we're all tracking. I was telling this story at the last two weddings I just did. There are these, this couple, this godly couple, 
God says it's not good for man to be alone. He gives Adam this beautiful woman known as Eve. Eve is, I'm just gonna paraphrase the story. Eve is sitting in the garden. All of a sudden, Satan slithers up to her and starts questioning her beliefs. Did God really say this? Did God really say that? Did he really say you couldn't have this piece of fruit? And she caves and she first eats the fruit. Here's the leadership that I'm talking about. Then Adam, we don't know what Adam's doing. He's probably sitting at home watching the Vikings games, whatever Adam is doing. Adam is not doing what he's supposed to do. He's probably not far away. He's just passively sitting by while his wife is being pulled into temptation. She eats the apple or the fruit or whatever that looked like. Then he partakes as well. God comes to the garden. He calls them out. Eve eats the fruit first. Who does God call out first? Nope. Some of you said the wrong thing. Who does God call out first? You said the right thing. I'm sorry, I'm tired. God calls out Adam. Eve eats fruit, fruit, fruit first. God calls out Adam. He calls him out. He says, where are you? Maybe the better question is, where were you? Why are you handing over your leadership to Satan? If we don't want to fill those shoes, Satan's always there and willing to take our place. Legacy starts with leadership. We have this next generation rising up, these teenagers. You guys know there's 100 kids in youth group at New Life? There's 100 kids at youth group at New Life. You know what that represents in Aberdeen? Probably 75% of all youth group. Maybe not quite, but I bet it's close. There's like 50 or 60 when they all come on the same night in the fall in Middle High, and there's around 40 or 50 that are coming all the time to youth group in high school. They don't make it every week, but that's the reality that we're living in. I, I have this kid that's about to be at the second service. He's at a basketball tournament. He's on his way here. And he actually goes to a different church. And I asked him, I said, Caden, why are you coming to our youth group? He says, I just want to study the Bible. I just want to know the word of God, and that's what you guys are providing. Our teenagers are starving, starving, malnourished for leadership. You guys remember those, those commercials uh, with the dog shelters and Sarah McLaughlin? In the arms of an angel. And you see those dogs with like the whimpering tears. Do you guys remember those? And you went out and adopted like five pets for a week and you'd send them back. <laughs> That's what our teenagers look like. They're starving. They're starving. Starving for leadership. Starving for biblical truth. Average person having their first sexual experience at the age of 16 Female teenagers who are sexually active have a much higher rate of alcohol abuse, drug use, eating disorders, depression, and suicide. Roughly one-third of all babies from teenage mothers are aborted. Over 200 pornographic films are made in the U.S. every week. 25% of all search engines are pornographic search requests. We spend more money on pornography in America than foreign aid. We live in a world, we're here, it's happened. We live in a world that sees evil as good and we're putting our children on the altar. Who's gonna step up? Who's gonna step up? Here's the good news, it's not too late. Chapters three and four, it starts pointing to Christ. The Messiah is coming. Our story is this, that Christ has already come. He's redeemed us, he's saved us, he's given us the Holy Spirit, husbands and wives. Leaders in the church, he's empowered us. He's called us out of darkness into light. He's called us to reach Aberdeen, South Dakota and surrounding areas and people in Peru. He has called us to do his work. It's not too late and the good news is all of our affections can be pointed in the direction of Christ. He's returning for his bride. This is a small window with a giant legacy. 
Christ is returning for his bride. Maybe you're in the legacy generation and you're just shaking your head. I was telling this to one of our elders who's in the legacy generation. I want you to hear this. If you're a boomer sitting in church, which there's a lot of you at the first service, and there's some of you downtown that are listening to this right now as well, it's time to stop shaking your head at how crazy the world is and start bowing your knee and praying to Jesus and saying, Jesus, how can I make a difference? How can I lead? I've got 20 years left at best before I go meet Jesus. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to invest in this next generation who has a 4% biblical worldview. One out of 25 kids believing the gospel in America, that the Bible's inerrant, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the only way to heaven. In a world that's lost, that's starving, here's our moment, you guys. This is my standalone. We're gonna walk into a sermon series. I am calling you out as your pastor. It is time to get serious about serving Christ. It is time to get serious about making his name great in our community. If not you, then who? If not us, then who? Christ is so good. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. This is our moment. I believe firmly God is gonna use this church in a massive way in the upcoming years. We are at the beginning of something big. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. As we walk out of this service, we're gonna sing praises to your name in just a second. We're gonna gather at the water park in a few hours. All of this today, pointing as we walk into this countercultural sermon series next week, all of this stuff pointing to the legacy and the window of time that you've given us. We ask for favor. We ask that you would give us this moment. We ask that we would see many souls converted, that we'd see many souls won over for your kingdom work. God, people that are on the fringe, people that have taken a back seat in ministry, that we would see new life rise up. People that are saying, I'm fully vested in the mission of God to see more disciples made for my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I also pray right now, if there are people sitting in church or listening online who've been playing games with you and they've been profaning the covenant and they thought that they were a Christian but they've never even given their life to you, that right now you would wake in their heart, that they would understand that they're not supposed to jump through religious hoops. They're supposed to worship a personal savior that died on a cross for their sins and rose from death so that they can have life. Jesus, I pray right now, if there's no anyone in this space that's never given their life to you, that right now they would declare you as Lord. In fact, with everyone's eyes closed, if there are some of you in here that are saying, man, I've been playing games, I don't serve Jesus, I'm religious, but I'm not saved, but I believe in this moment Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the resurrected Savior, that he's the only way to heaven, that he is the person worthy of my affections and worship, he is the Son of God, I declare it, I believe he died, I believe that he rose, would you just look at me right now so I can see you and you can see me? eight of you find me after church don't leave Jesus I thank you for the salvation that you're ushering in have your way in our lives
give us a legacy. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. We're gonna, if you're, a, if you're someone who goes to New Life, give your tithe. If you're a visitor, don't tithe. Just be a part of what's going on here. We want you to come back and find a home here at New Life. We're gonna stand up. You can tithe on your way out. You can turn in your connection cards on the way out. Be back at the water park for the belly flop. It's gonna be amazing. The pizza's free. Buy your ticket into the water park. Let's stand up and we're gonna sing ourselves out of here.